Welcome back to Three Decades of Tragedy, History of the Thirty Years' War. So last time I covered the death of Wallenstein, who had fallen out of favor with the Hasbro court. After his men had assassinated him and killed his other men, his assassins were rewarded with money and property. There were negative consequences of this, like the collapse of imperial credit, but it was regarded as a sacrifice to get a better commander in the war, or at the very least get a better sense of unity in the war. But with that covered, let's get started. With Wallenstein dead and murdered, Olivares of Spain renewed his plan to help restore Spanish power through Ferdinand putting pressure on the Dutch. Not necessarily to have him directly declare war, but enough to send men to reinforce Flanders as an example to put more pressure. Also, there was unresolved issues up there since Isabella had died in 1633, and they didn't have the resources to deal with it at the time, and the Dutch were good at holding them off at the moment. Their plan was to gather the remainders of Ferry's army along with other units at Milan and escort the Spanish king's brother, Fernando, to the Netherlands. This would help restore the situation in southern Germany, clearing the Spanish road and allow reinforcements to go into Flanders, which was a win for the Imperials and the Spanish. Ornate was told to offer substantial subsidies to the Empire if Ferdinand agreed to offer military support, Ferdinand being the Emperor of the HRE. We have three Ferdinands going on right now, so just keep that in mind. Ornate met senior Imperial officers in Vienna on April 1634, where he tried to convince them to go along with his plan, convincing them to stay on the defensive of the Saxons and focus their attention to the Swedes. This would go along with the whole idea of trying to make separate pieces with all these princes of the empire. Well, yeah, princes, they were princes. And if the Swedes were weakened, then it would be much easier to convince them to surrender separately, and that would weaken the Swedish in the HRE. Gallus and Ferdinand's son, Ferdinand, who, which I will be calling the Archduke or Archduke Ferdinand, advanced with 25,000 men from Pilsen to join Aldringen, who had collected 14,500 survivors. 25,000 men were left behind in Bohemia, and 20,000 were left among the Oder and in Silesia. 6,000 men held Brisac, and 15,000 League men held Westphalia. So overall, the Imperials were prepared for a focused offensive, defensive positions well entrenched, and it's smart to focus on one enemy as you can focus your reinforcements on that part of the war. It's not like the Swedes were in a great state militarily, as they still didn't have a commander that replaced Gustavus. And Saxony was still operating on their own as a whole in bigger terms, so control wasn't as tight. The Imperials were still able to run large armies despite the cost, and the fact that this was organized relatively quickly showed an organized command, which the Swedes lacked for more than a year. Horn was besieging Überlingen, trying to close off the route past Lake Constance to Fernando. Bernhard was in Franconia at the moment and didn't plan to assist, expecting them to make a move, them being the Imperials, when the Spanish arrived, focusing on securing his possession of Bamberg. The fact these armies were divided left Regensburg less secure. This had been the big prize of the Swedes the previous year, and to have it be recaptured could undermine the Swedes and their prestige. The Imperial forces besieged the 4,000-men garrison by May 23rd, the garrison holding out, but not able to maintain it for long. Horn and Bernhard reunited the forces at Augsburg on July 12th, but they only had a combined army of 20,000, which had been reduced by attrition. They managed to punch through a force blocking the way to Landberg, altering and dying in the process on June 22nd. But they delayed for a week after fighting, only getting going, as it was too late to assist the city under siege. It had surrendered on July 26th, the commander being recalled to Sweden, and the commander being recalled to Sweden, but costing the Imperials 8,000 casualties and 6,000 deserters, which was a fair amount of casualties as sieges were tired exhausting and draining of resources. We've talked about the whole cost of war and sieges earlier in this podcast, and same applies here. So once again, the battle was one where technically one side won, but they didn't gain as much as they wanted, and the other side didn't suffer as much as they could have, or at least wasn't as big a defeat as it could have been, although this was a bigger blow to the Swedes than the Imperials. On another front, Oxenstierna wanted to keep Pomerania secured and to derail any peace talks Johann George was thinking of. Several armies were organized, Thurn's army rebuilding to 14,000, with George Wilhelm sending 3,000 Brandenburgians while the Imperials recaptured Landsberg. Arnhem arrived with an army of 14,000 Saxons, and the biggest battle in this area was the combined army of these two men routing an Imperial force due to 
undisciplined Saxon troops, killing around 5,000 Imperials. By June, Benair had recaptured positions on the Oder and then turned his army to attack Bohemia from the west, reaching Prague the day before Regensburg fell. With the Imperials, the Archduke advanced to Bohemia, but paused his advance when he learned Arnhem had pulled back from Bohemia by August 2nd, claiming lack of supplies, although it was most likely just an excuse to abandon Benair, as that facade of military power was slipping. Eleven regiments of his reinforced another Imperial commander, while the rest of his men went to capture Donauwerth on August 16th. This seeming crisis of the Imperials had passed, but the Spanish were worried enough to tell Fernando de Detour to assist the Imperials in Franconia. 11,700 Spanish and Italians crossed over the Valtellina in July, which was the largest army that had crossed it so far. They were delayed by the high waters of Lake Como at the start of the valley, but were joined by Ferry's forces, bringing them up to 4,000 cavalry and 18,700 infantry. Archduke Ferdinand also advanced to besiege Nordlingen, which was guarded by only 500 men, sending some of his men to relieve a trap force nearby. This attack was right at the heart of the Hellbron League. Oxenstierna struggling to maintain control of those under Swedish control, so the city itself was not really important, but the Swedish Chancellor cannot afford to lose this city politically. Horn and Bernhard had fallen back to Swabia in the face of the Imperial advance, reuniting at Ulm, marching east through Aldringen and Botfingen, arriving too late to stop the siege of the city starting on August 18th. Horn didn't want to attack across the Egad River as they were outnumbered, and he was aware that Spanish reinforcements were coming, although he expected reinforcements from Oxenstierna to arrive first. He cleared away a screen of Croat troops and reinforced the city with 250 musketmen, promising to relieve the city within six days. 7,000 militia arrived to reinforce him, but they weren't the most effective men, as they were relatively untrained and untested. And by September 3rd, Fernando had arrived to the Imperial camp, Swedes hearing celebrate coming from the enemy camp. The two cousins got along well, Fernando and Ferdinand, especially because the actual command was done by their second-in-commands, so they didn't have to worry about competing for power or who was more important, etc. And probably was a little bit of that, but they weren't actually commanding the army. Dedich and the Spanish did spread through the combined army, but it was still a powerful force consisting of 15,000 cavalry, 20,500 infantry, and 52 cannons. It was a mixed force consisting of several ethnic groups, which would become a standard part of Austrian armies. The city was bombarded heavily on September 4th, nearly surrendering, setting up distress flares. Horton and Bernhard consulted at midnight, realizing they couldn't wait any longer for reinforcements, and they would still have 16,000 infantry, 9,700 cavalry, and 52 guns the next morning due to reinforcements coming. They were still outnumbered, but the city would fall if they didn't help. They also lacked good intel due to the Imperial, Croat, and Dragoon troops, preventing good recon. They decided to find a better position, retreating back towards Ulm, before crossing the river at Bopfingen to seize a line of hills to the south of Nordlingen, flanking the Imperials. Both Horn and Bernhard swapped commands with each other each day to prevent the other from feeling subordinate to the other. The Swedes were spotted by 4 p.m. on the 5th. The Imperials were acting quickly by securing the hills to their left, which ran northwest to southwest from the Eger, and were separated from the Jura by the marshy Retzenbach stream. Fighting started as Bernhard tried to capture the hills from left to right, Swedish troops coming out of the Jura. The fighting was hard, but after three hours, the Swedes had captured the Heimelreich, the wooded Landal, and the open Lachbeck. But the delay had also allowed the Spanish Imperial musketeers, supported by cavalry, to gather on Heiselberg, stubbornly resisting the Swedes till 10 p.m. when Horn arrived and replaced Bernhard's exhausted men. Heiselberg fell four hours later, both sides having been fighting all afternoon and evening. This delay, however, allowed 6,600 Spanish troops and 1,500 Bavarians to occupy the Albuk from the east, in the east, which was important to the whole position as it blocked the way to the Hasberg flank. They built three small entrenchments overnight for 14 cannons, while 2,800 cavalry drew up nearby. The rest of the army drew up on another line of hills to the north of Nordlingen, leaving 2,000 men behind to prevent a sortie from the city. The Hasberg thought the Swedes would assault them from the Herkheimerfeld plain after crossing the Heimelreich as it was flat, but the Swedes did not intend to do that dangerous deployment as it would open their flanks to the Imperials. Bernhard's tired troops would wait on the Landell in Lochbach, 
and Horn's fresh men would attack Albuck from Heidelberg and the rights in Back Valley. Horn had around 4,000 cavalry and 9,400 infantry, beginning the assault at dawn because a recon commander misread a signal and launched an assault from the southeast slope, which was fairly steep. The cavalry attack was repulsed, but Sweden's German and Scottish infantry initially overwhelmed the Imperial center, beating back the German recruits on the Imperial side. There was supposedly an explosion of powder during the attack, which threw the Protestants in confusion, but it was just as likely there was a counterattack by veteran Imperial and Spanish troops, driving the Swedes back to their initial positions. More assaults were ordered, but they became less and less effective. The Spanish prepared for the Swedish salvo tactics, ducking when the enemy fired and firing back with a volley of their own. This went on for hours, and Bernhard sent two regiments to reinforce Hornet and had his cavalry move onto the plains to track the Imperials and prevent them from reinforcing the Albuk. But the first infantry was pinned by the Spanish musketmen and then assaulted by Italian cavalry, Horn sending his own to try to rescue them, turning into a cavalry melee. Fighting resounded across the distance, reaching up to Andek 120 kilometers away. Horn gave way by 10 p.m. on the 6th, exposing Bernhard's waiting infantry on the lockback, and the Imperials drove the Swedes further off the hills that they had previously captured. Horn's forces began to dissolve, and Croat troops worked their way along the Eger to pass the Himmelreich, flanking Bernhard. Bernhard tried to retreat, but, quote, the Spanish cut down everyone, unquote. As he tried to retreat, Bernhard escaping after June gave him a fresh horse. Horn was captured along with 4,000 men, and the Imperial troops the Swedes had pressed rejoined the Imperials, along with other Hellbron men league, which was now becoming a standard procedure for people to swap sides like this. 8,000 to 12,000 Swedes and their allies were dead. Their baggage train massacred 2,000 men dying in that battle. And the Imperials lost only 3,500 men. Only 14,000 men remained when Bernhardt reorganized at Heilbronn a few days later, telling Oxenstierna, quote, The great misfortune is so bad it cannot be any worse, unquote. So this battle was a disaster for the Swedes, as it's very obvious. The lack of real command, well, there was command, but, like, there was no Gustavus. Only hurt the cohesion of the army, and the Imperials had clearly taken Wallenstein's death to improve their military situation. It also ended the dominance the Swedish military held for so long, as this was a clear-cut victory. There was no debating who won this one, or if he could pull back. This was a bad loss. It's regarded as one of the most important battles of the war, and is a turning point for the Swedes as the balance of power swung back towards the Imperials again. But we will cover the aftermath of the battle next week, so I hope you're excited for that. I want to thank you for listening in and hope you're enjoying it. Social media links will be in the description box or on the links themselves. You can email me at 3DECOT at gmail.com. Reminder that of Patreon, and thanks for the support me, and to review and spread the word, and I'll see you guys next time.